Well, good morning. It says in Psalm 7, 17, David says this, I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Let me say that again. I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. The only reason we're here, let's be clear about this, the only reason we're here this morning is to praise and thank God for His righteousness and to lift high the name of Jesus. That's the only reason we're here. Sharon and I are excited to be back with you again this morning. And uh, we are excited about, how would I describe the feelings? We are excited about the possibility of being here on a fairly regular schedule. If together with you, we decide that's what the Lord is leading us in that direction. So we're excited to be here. We were here two Sundays about a month ago. And then I, uh, I traveled out of the country. I do that regularly. But um, my most recent trip was to spend two and a half weeks in the Philippines, where I was for the last three Sundays, teaching and training a group of pastors and church leaders. It was a great time, and I can tell you this, when we get to heaven, it will be my privilege to introduce you to those pastors and church leaders that I spent two weeks with in the Philippines. I've come to understand, even though I'd heard about this before, but I've come to understand that there are, there are pastors and church leaders all over the world who love Jesus just as much as we love Jesus here in the United States. Do you understand that? But one of the challenges they have around the world is that many situations, they have little or no opportunity for formal theological education. In fact, I can tell you a number of times I've ran into people around the world who are pastors who have never had one day, not even one day, of formal theological education. Uh, someone becomes a pastor and they're all excited about living for the Lord, and before you know it, they ask that, that person to move down the road 10 miles and be the pastor of the next church. And that's how it is out there. So for this chapter in our life, Sharon and I have been involved in a ministry for the last uh, three and a half years since we... Uh, now, be careful how I use this word, since we retired. I'm still trying to figure out what that means, because I think I'm just as busy now as I was before I retired. So that was just kind of a day on the calendar when we retired, and then the, we got involved with mission work, and so we've been doing that a lot. But um, we're excited to be with you today. We leave this week, just to let you know our schedule, we leave this week for a two-week trip to the Ukraine. And I'm really excited because Sharon's going to go with me on this trip. It doesn't always work for her to go with me. I'm going to be teaching at a, in Odessa, which is in the southwest. How would I describe that? It's in the southern part of Ukraine, and it's right on the Black Sea. I've been invited to teach at Odessa Theological Seminary, and I'm looking forward to spending the time there with pastors from Ukraine and Russia. But for me personally, I'm really excited that Sharon gets to go with me. So the Lord willing... We'll be back at Cross Point on Palm Sunday, April 14th. Now, let's just talk about what's been happening around the world and here in Sioux Falls in particular, and then we're going to figure out how all that has to do with us here in Sioux Falls. When I was, uh, when I was in the Philippines, I had access from time to time for Wi-Fi, which allows me to call Sharon on this uh, 
incredible, miraculous thing called Skype, which I have no idea how it works. I just know it works. Sometimes it works. And when it works, it's really good. And when it doesn't work, it gets me frustrated. So uh, on most days, Sharon and I could talk. And Skype, you know, we can look at each other on the screen and ooh and ah over each other and all that, just like, just like when we're home. But uh, I know that when I was gone, you people here in Sioux Falls, it seemed like I heard about a lot of snow and a lot of rain. And between talking with Sharon on Skype and reading some of the news articles about Sioux Falls online, I ran across an article about a local business person here in Sioux Falls who had experienced some uh, damage to their business during those storms. And in the article, and in fact, you may have read this exact same article, the business owner made a comment that caught my attention. In describing the first day of the storm, the business owner said, and I quote, this is a direct quote from the Argus leader. In describing the first day of the storm, the business owner said, God was on our side there. Apparently they got through the first day of the storm okay, and then, but then in describing the damage they experienced in the next couple days, I found it interesting that God's name was never mentioned. And without being critical of that business owner, and I have no idea who that person is, I began to wonder, here I am 12,000 miles away, I began to wonder how many of us, how many of us have a similar understanding of who God is? It's sort of like, it's sort of like we think God is there with us during the good times, but then when the bad times show up, he, he just sort of disappears. And so I wonder... Have I ever had those thoughts? Or have you ever had those thoughts? And I wonder, what kind of a world do we really live in? Do our, do our friends and family and neighbors and coworkers have that kind of thinking that as long as things are going well, God is with us. But then when things turn south, God somehow just disappears and walks away. And yet, that's not at all what the Bible teaches the Bible is very clear and teaches us that God is always with us. He's with us in the good times, and he's with us in those difficult times. So, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Now, we all have habits, okay? I've got habits, you've got habits. And uh, I don't know, some of us are in the habit of bringing our Bible. Some of us are in the habit on Sunday morning of leaving our Bibles at home. I want to encourage you, if you're in the habit of leaving your Bible at home, I want to encourage you to change that habit, break that habit, and begin to develop the habit of bringing your Bible with us when we come to church. Because over the course, if the Lord allows Sharon and I to continue ministry, over the course of the next number of months, one of the things you will discover about me is we, as we point out verses, I'm going to ask you to underline that verse in your Bible. Okay? And it's a little hard to do, when your Bible is five miles away at home. So let's begin the habit of bringing our Bibles. And the first one that I want you to underline is Deuteronomy 31.6. Now, let me read that verse for those of us who don't have our Bibles. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. Now here's our phrase. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Okay, so after you underline that verse, I think you should take your pen and right next to that verse, write something like in your own words, God is always with me. So that whether it's next week or next month or 17 years from now, when you're scrolling through the book of Deuteronomy, that verse will just jump off the page. You will remember that there's a promise there that God gives us. He's always with us. So turn the page to the right. We're done with Deuteronomy. Go to three or four or five pages to the right to Joshua chapter 1. There's another reminder that God is with us. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And in my opinion... This is another verse that should be underlined in every Bible. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is going to be with us when the storms come and we receive no damage. And that same God is going to be with us when the storm comes and we receive excessive amounts of damage. God is always with us. Now let's turn to another passage. Some people, Psalm 23. Most people believe that Psalm 23 is the most easily recognized chapter in the entire Holy Scriptures. Let me read Psalm 23. It's six verses. Now, you're welcome to underline the whole thing, but I'm not asking you to do that. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake, even though I walk through the... Well, in my translation, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. But a number of us remember that verse from an earlier translation, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So picture this now. The psalmist understands this, that even though when he's walking on the mountaintops and the birds are singing and the blue sky and the white clouds and life is just beautiful, he understands that God is with him. But he also understands that even when he's walking through those deep, dark valleys of life, that where is God? God is still with him. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now let's look at another verse. Romans chapter 8. Let's go to the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to give you two verses, and I... You know, six months from now, you may be tired of me saying, this is a verse you should have underlined, but just get over it because I'm not going to change. Sharon can tell you for years I've been saying this. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Yes, these should be underlined. In fact, if anybody ever asked me about publishing a Bible, I think your Bible should come with these verses already underlined to make it a lot easier. For I am convinced, it says in verse 38, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just update that for what's happened here in Sioux Falls the last two or three weeks. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither rain nor snow nor floods, Nothing 
can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we could go, we could spend all morning looking at literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of verses that remind us that God is always with us. Now let me just take a step back. I want you to understand, I am not here at all to ridicule that business owner. I'm not here to ridicule that person. In fact, that person might be here today. I have no idea who that article was about in the Argus Leader. I'm not here to ridicule that person for their lack of what we would describe here as biblical correctness. I genuinely feel sorry for anybody caught in those storms of snow and ice and rain and water and flooding. I mean, it's devastating to walk through things like that. I'm just trying to make the point that you and I as people who claim to be evangelical Christians, we need to stand strong on God's Word and the promises we have in Scripture. And you and I, we need to do our very best not to be influenced by the bad theology out there in the world. That business owner was absolutely correct that they said, when they said God was with They're absolutely correct when they said that God was with them during that first day of the storm. But God was also with them when their building collapsed and everything they knew was devastated. We do not worship a God who is only with us some of the time. We worship a God who is with us all the time. In the good times, as well as in the difficult times. When we trade cars and the car runs great and we're driving down the street and the radio's playing and oh, we're so thankful for God and the way He's blessed us with this different car. But when we're out on the highway and the, the car breaks down, God is still with us. He doesn't just ride around in cars that run right. He rides, he's with us all the time. Do you understand that? When you feel great, it's, so, it's just wonderful to say, God has blessed me so much, I'm, I just feel great. But when you go to the doctor and the doctor comes back in and he or she says, I'm sorry, we've got some bad news. God is still with you. He doesn't leave us. He's with us all the time. So between now and if the Lord allows us to come and allows me and Sharon to come and preach and teach on a regular basis, let me share with you where I think we're going to go. I'm planning to do a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark, okay? With homework, by the way, okay? How many say amen? Ah, Sharon, you heard that, okay. It's easy, okay? The homework here is easier than what I'm going to assign those pastors at the seminary in Ukraine. Between now and the end of the year, I want to do a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we'll begin that sermon series on the Sunday after Easter, which is April 28th. And we will continue working our way through the Gospel of Mark through all 16 chapters, until one of two things happens. Either we get through all 16 chapters, or Jesus comes back first. Okay, that's our only two options here. And your assignment, have you ever watched those Mission Impossible movies? Your assignment, if you're willing to accept it, is... Now, after I tell you this, you're going to say, wow, that's the easiest assignment I've ever had. What I would really like you to do 
in the week before April 28th is at home, either alone or with your family, read Mark chapter 1. Now, is that too hard to do? All I'm asking for is seven minutes of your life, okay? I think you can read every chapter in the book of Mark at seven-minute pace. So the week after Easter, before April 28th, if you'd be so nice, and by the way, you really do look like nice people, and that's your homework. Read chapter 1, and we'll continue at that pace. I'd like you to always read the chapter at home ahead of time before you come to church on Sunday. And so we're going to try, the pace we're going to go is a, a chapter a week. There's a lot of stuff in there, and I don't know if we can keep up that pace. But that's what we're going to do on most Sundays. Now, but, there's always a but, but on four or five or six of the Sundays between April 28th and January, we'll say, we're going to take a break from Mark's gospel. And they're not going to be, it's not going to be like the first Sunday of every month or the third Sunday of every month. It's as the Holy Spirit leads, and it's, it's when I feel we need a break from Mark. We're going, to, we're going to look at something else. We're going to look at what I call some of God's great words. Now, let me give you an idea what these words are. Propitiation. What in the world does that mean? Sanctification. Sovereignty. Omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. When we talk about God's Word, we say it's the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. So our schedule, our plan, starting on April 28th, is we are going to work our way through the Gospel of Mark, and you're going to do your homework on the week before you get here on the 28th, read Mark chapter 1. And then after we're doing that, every so often, we're going to take a break, and we're going to look at individual words, okay? I'm going to set aside a Sunday every now and then, and that's the only schedule I have is every now and then, because by having a better understanding of what we call, what I call God's great words, it will help us to become more like Jesus. As we understand these words, and with confidence, you and I will be able to use those words in conversations that we have out in the community as we share our faith, and we're going to study these Great words. Why? Not to fill up our minds with more stuff. No, I've, we've got enough stuff filling up our minds. We are going to fill our minds with these great words so that we can build, you and I, we can build a strong, solid foundation of this book and who God is and how He interacts in our life and how He interacts in the community. We want to build a strong foundation. Because here's what I've discovered, unless we know the truth, we will fall for the lies the world wants to tell us. Okay? So we're going to focus on God's great words and we're going to focus on the Gospel of Mark. Our word for today, we're going to have one word today. Righteousness. Just let that roll around your head for a minute. Righteousness. Now I'm going to take one minute and I'm not going to say one thing. I want you, in your mind, to try and decide what that word means. After all these years of going to church or not going to church, here we are. If we added up the years that all of us have gone to church, I'm guessing that we would have 500 years right here in this room. So we've been going to church for 500 years, friends. You get one minute in your mind to come up with a definition for the word righteousness. One minute, go. Go.
Okay, that's enough. You don't get a minute. You only get 15 seconds. I'd like you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And this passage is going to magically appear on the screen. Romans chapter 3. And the primary passage for our message today is from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. Now, because this is God's Word, out of respect for Him and His Word, I'd like everybody to stand and follow along as I read these four verses out loud. Let's all stand together, if you're able. Otherwise, you can remain seated, of course. I'm going to read the four verses. But now... Wow, that's an interesting way to begin, isn't it? But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's just remain... Let me pray. Dear God, as we um, focus our attention on this big fancy word, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. And as we look at even more scriptures, Lord, that you would teach us. And God, that we would be able to take things that we talk about this morning and apply those to our life. So God, help us just for the next few minutes to forget about all that stuff that we think we need to do this afternoon and just to give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So here we have the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, Paul talks about a variety of things. He talks about the, he talks about the problems of sin. He talks about what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. He talks about the relationships that are available to us through faith and dozens of other important topics, including this word for today, righteousness. Now, verse 21 begins. Is that still on the screen? Verse, leave it up there. Verse 21 begins. But now, it's an interesting way to begin a paragraph. But now, here's, here's what that means. But now. We need to go all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and we would have to reread all of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, all of chapter 3, right up through verse 20. And then Paul says, whatever he said there in all those first two and a half chapters, but now, based on everything he's already told us, but now, now that the long-awaited Messiah has come and we know that his name is Jesus, And we know that he went to the cross and shed his blood as the full, final, and complete price for all of our sin. Now, Paul tells us that we can be righteous by faith alone. And we are all done trying to gain righteousness by our feeble attempts at doing good works. Because that ain't working. Now let's understand this. Righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ, not by doing good works. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the full price for our sin. Full price for our sin. There's nothing more we need to do to obtain salvation other than repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, we gain pardon from sin, 
not by keeping the law, but because our faith is in Jesus. So let's, under, let's talk about this word righteous, righteousness. We understand that God the Father is righteous. In your Bibles, turn to Psalm 11, verse 1. Psalm 11, verse 1 says, You know, this wouldn't be a bad verse to underline either, in case you're in the habit of underlining. Psalm 11, verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see His face. So, number one, we understand that God the Father is what? Righteous. Number two, Jesus Christ, His Son, is righteous. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And by the way, I have to tell you, that there's not a more pleasant sound in all the world, I don't think, than for a pastor to stand up here and hear those pages turning. I know some of you probably have those fancy electric tablets and phones right now when you're looking at these, but I can't hear that, so. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is another one of those verses that when it comes from the publisher, I think 5.21 should come underlined. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we understand that God the Father is righteous. Jesus Christ, his Son, is righteous. And God the Father working through His Son, Jesus Christ, gives the gift of righteousness to people everywhere who repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. Now our verses, I think they're still up there. Romans 3.21, But now apart from the law of righteousness of God, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In the blink of an eye. Now, how fast is that? Here's what I'm going to do. Take a time out. I want you to blink your eyes three times, just as fast as you can do it. Do it right now. One, two, three. In the blink of an eye, when we ask God to forgive us of our sin, and we fully trust in Jesus for our salvation, we go from being unrighteous to righteous. Think how fast that is. In the blink of an eye, when we put our faith in Jesus, we go from being unrighteous to righteous. Not because of who we are, and it has nothing to do with what we have attempted to be doing through our good works, but it's all because of Jesus and what he did for us when he died on the cross. I want you to understand this. There is no such thing as being sort of righteous. No, there's no such thing. You cannot be sort of righteous. We are either righteous or we're unrighteous. There's nothing in between. Think of it this way. We are either in a right relationship with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ, or we are not in a right relationship with God because we've rejected faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 means that Christ took upon himself the full consequences of and the full punishment for all of our sins when he shed his blood on the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God made Jesus, who was completely innocent and completely perfect, God made Jesus identify himself with our sin so that he could take our sin away. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore the full consequences of our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. You do not become righteous by going to church. No, you don't. You become righteous when you put your faith in Jesus. You do not become righteous by being baptized. No, you don't. You become righteous when you put your faith in Jesus. You do not become righteous by taking communion. No, you don't. You become righteous when you repent of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus. You do not become righteous when you put money in the offering plate. No, you don't. You become righteous when you put your faith in Jesus. We do not become righteous because we read the Bible. No, we don't. We do not become righteous because we pray every day. No, we don't. We become righteous because we have faith in Jesus. Being righteous is about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross so that we can stand before God as righteous people. That's why I say we are either righteous or we're unrighteous. There's nothing in between. We've either repented of our sin and we're fully trusting in Jesus for our salvation because of what he did for us on the cross, or we have not repented of our sin and we're not trusting in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Now, for, for those of you who are married, think about this. Think about your, you're with me? Do you know those of you who are married? <laughs> okay, think about this. I want you to think about your wedding. And I want you to think about your wedding vows. There is a specific moment in that wedding ceremony when both the bride and the groom are asked to take their vows. In a matter of seconds, we go from being unmarried to married. Would you agree? We begin that wedding service, nobody's married. When that service is over and you've taken your vows and you've made those promises to God, now you're married. There is no such thing, friends, as being sort of married, okay? There's no such thing. Even though Sharon and I have family, extended family, and family beyond extended family, and you've got the same people in your extended family, they're not married, but they're living together, okay? The world is full of people like that. You know people like that. If we were to stop one of my family members, extended family members, and ask them, are, are you married? And I can tell you this, I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of them would say, well, we're sort of married. No, you're not. 
There's no such thing as being sort of married. You've either stood before God and promised to love each other, or you haven't. What's hard to understand about that? But you'll hear that conversation. Wow, we're sort of married. No, you're not. There's no such thing as being sort of married. The same is true for righteousness. We are either righteous or we're still unrighteous. When we believe and understand that Jesus paid the full price for our sin when he shed his perfect blood on the cross and we ask God to forgive us of our sin and we believe there is nothing more we need to do in addition to what Jesus has already done in the, think of how fast this is, in the blink of an eye, God declares us righteous. Now let me just share a little opinion here. I think it would have been a wonderful testimony to God if that business owner had believed in God, the same one who believed that God was with them after the rains of the first day of the storm when things were going well, oh my, it would have been a wonderful testimony if they would have said after the storm passed through and their business was devastated and everything's completely destroyed, it would have been a wonderful testimony if they would have said, but God was still with us, even when everything we knew and owned fell apart. But that's not what they said. Maybe, they're, maybe they believe that God is only with us in the good times, or maybe the Argus leader misquoted the business owner. I don't know. But today I want us to leave here with a better understanding of who God is. He is a gracious, kind, loving, righteous God who because of our faith in Jesus grants us his righteousness. And he is always loving us. And he's always kind to us. And he is always with us. Always. Now let me close with this. Years ago, when I first came to fully understand the gospel, I'd gone to church all my life. But I'd never fully understood the gospel. If you would have asked me prior to this moment that I'm going to share with you, if you would have asked me, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I, didn't, I just couldn't understand what that had to do with me. But when I f- first came to fully understand the gospel, I was studying for a degree in business administration at Minnesota State University at Mankato. And I got involved in a Bible study there with some guys And it was in that Bible study that I was introduced to the idea of, well, there were a number of things. They introduced me to the idea that I could or should read my Bible every day and allow time for God to speak to me. They challenged me to memorize verses. They challenged me to come up with a prayer list and I should pray through that list every day. And when I'm doing that thing, when I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm memorizing Scripture and I'm praying every day, you begin to have this mindset, well, now I'm becoming a better Christian because I'm doing all these things. But in all reality, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was confusing my good works with God's righteousness. I began to think that if I did more, God would love me more. Or if I did more, I would become 
more righteous. Those are lies. We can't become more righteous. We're either righteous or we're not righteous. And God's love doesn't change. It's constant. He always loves us. But in Romans 3.22, the apostle said, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with spiritual discipline, such as reading our Bible or going to church or praying or all those things for fellowship. But we need to understand this. All those activities are not going to make us more righteous. We already are righteous or we're not righteous. Only faith in Jesus makes us righteous. So my question for you this morning, and then we close. My question for you is this. Are you trusting God to grant you his righteousness because you believe in Jesus? Or are you trying to do good things in order to become more righteous? Let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning. And as we pause from the busyness of the world and a world that's filled with pain and agony and bad theology. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to gather here this morning for this time and open your word. And God, once again, as we've done so many times, we thank you for sending Jesus who went to the cross because he loved us and he shed his blood as the full and final and complete price for all our sin. God, we ask that you would continue to walk with us and keep us in your cares. Keep us in your care until we can come back and worship you again next Sunday. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.